Welcome to the Swim Swam Podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining me today, uh, NC State head diving coach, the guy with the best beard and the coolest name I may have ever encountered, Yaya Radman. Trust me, it was it was not cool growing up. It was uh, not a cool name growing up. I can I can what I mean, right? It's a, it's an it's an odd name. What what did you, what did you get for that name growing up? Uh, the ever popular one was Yo Yo. Uh, Flat out Yaya, and then I always get that one thing like, um, "Hey, are you Greek?" I said, "No." Oh, cool. That means grandmother. Really? Never heard that before. <laughs> Astonishing. My favorite one, somebody came up to me and I was like, um, hey, where's that name from? I'm like, why don't you guess? And they go, uh, I don't know. Is it Irish? I'm like, how did you know? God, you're good. So a lot of sarcasm that goes with it. <laughs> it's, it it's not Irish, right? It's not. Absolutely not. It's an Arab name. <laughs> Actually, if you translate it outright, it's, um, it's John. It's John. Just John. <laughs> I hate uh, to disappoint. Wow. Well, it's a great name. Thanks, brother. I like Appreciate it a lot. It. Um, how's it going? What's, you know, you just asked me what's new with me, but what, I'm going to start with you. What's new with you during, since this, this COVID shutdown happened in March? Well, um, I re, rekindled my love for cooking. So generally cooking is reserved for when I have a frustrating practice. Okay. My, my wife and my kids always know that I've had a rough practice when the meals are fantastic. And if the neighbors <laughs> get some of the meal as well, they know it was a really rough day. Um, other than that, working in the garden, kind of decided to figure out how to do a, a vegetable garden, taught my daughters a little bit about it. We have a tomato plants, so they go out there every morning to look at the flowers that bloom and what's going to come of it. Mm -hmm. Um, my oldest daughter who's seven has learned some key phrases whenever the bugs have taken some of the flowers and it's usually like, where did you learn that? Where did you hear that? And she goes, you on the phone. <laughs> nice. Don't tell your mom. <laughs> um, and then other than that, man, just re, um, just relearning diving, re-examining what I already know, um, always learning, trying to ask a bunch of my, now that we have a lot of time, I get to reach out to more of my mentors and we get to have a chat uh, at length instead of mm -hmm. a quick 30 minutes between events. Sure. Uh, yeah. On the pool deck. But other than that, picked up on cycling again, watching the tour de France, which is one of our family uh, favorite go-tos. Finally, um, we got to watch my kids have really gotten into soccer, European soccer. Okay. I'm a huge Liverpool fan. So, they are now on board with that too, so it's awesome. <laughs> nice. Other than that, other than that, everything is is going really well, as well as it can be. How are you? <laughs> That's I'm I'm doing pretty good. I I took a weekend trip to uh, to Arkansas this weekend. Got got away. Went. To I'll be Seattle. honest with you, man. I drove when we were moving to Wyoming. We drove from Tallahassee to Laramie. Okay. 
And I, and we had this small little trip through Arkansas, the small little cut through Arkansas in the Ozarks. Mm -hmm. Man, that stuff is beautiful. That is like one of the best kept secrets in the country. Nobody wants to go to Arkansas. No. But I highly recommend you just go in for a little, don't stay too long. (laughs) The weekend trip was the perfect amount of time. Yeah, we did some hiking in the Ozarks and man, yeah, it is the, the, I think the drive impressed me more than the actual hiking did, you know? Right. I mean, like the driving, you're just going up and down these like majestic hills and there's just trees, so green, trees everywhere. But yeah, it was nice. Um, my quarantine's been good. I've been doing a ton of podcasts. I, okay, so I have been a, watching. I'm a fan. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Tour de France and soccer. which have been two things I've never understood watching. Because to me, you know, I grew up watching Lakers basketball because my parents are from LA. And, uh, and so it, and it's it's just very different sports, right? There's always scoring happening in basketball, whereas soccer or cycling, you're not scoring as much. (laughs) And so what, what, what appeals to you about those, those sports? So football, I grew up with. I grew up with it. I loved it. Um, the older I get, I guess it's coming into more of a, of this newer generation where if you ask somebody, um, are you a Cleveland fan? No, but I'm a LeBron fan. So I'll go and cheer whatever team LeBron is on. Mm-hmm. And I think with, with soccer, there's a lot of those storylines that goes with it. So a lot of people will attach to that. Um, it's really, except in the U S Soccer is a very unprivileged sport. I mean, it's a really privileged sport in the U.S. You have to have the right shoes, the right gear. You have to be a member of the right club. You have to be um, in a certain tax bracket to be in a certain type of club. If Mm -hmm. you go anywhere else in the world, all you really need is a ball. So when I came here, it was really different. And I think the same would go here in the the States with basketball. You could, all you need is a basketball. You go to any court and you could play. Mm-hmm. So that's where the where it comes from. Um, I've always loved the kind of slow. Here's the best way to answer it, and I learned this from a, a really good friend of mine. Um, there is nothing more exciting than a really good mile, and there is nothing worse than a really bad mile. <laughs> and fair. Fair. Yeah. I hate, I'll tell you what, I hated watching the 1650. Hated watching it. Oh, yeah. And then Gary Taylor, who's now at Auburn, mm-hmm. he kind of, I also hated watching him watch the mile because he's such a perfectionist. But <laughs> when we watched uh, Anton Ibsen win in Minnesota, um, mm-hmm. that was the most exciting mile I have ever had. And I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. Yeah. And when you really have a dog in the race, it gets more exciting. So cycling is a little bit similar to that. Okay. I had, um, and cycling was actually what I did after I retired from diving. Okay. Not to say that I was a good diver. I'm just, I fell with very little grace. Um, I would be the poster child for concussions, if you will, but I didn't know that they were that. (laughs) And then I decided to go into cycling because I wanted to try uh, a team sport, try something different. I was too short to, to really do soccer. Mm-hmm. not nearly aggressive enough. My legs were not thick enough, but cycling really appealed to me. It appealed to me getting out in, in nature. Um, 
some of the stupid crap that you would do as a cyclist, totally right up the diver's alley. Yeah. Um, and then it just kind of latched on. And then when I lived overseas for a little bit, that is actually a very popular sport. And it's a great way to see the outdoors. So, so the kids, um, my daughters, we were watching the tour and just one day I was sitting there having a cup of coffee and both girls just kind of nestled up next to me and we just like two hours didn't move, just watched the race and kind of got excited and then slowed down, got excited again and then slowed down. And I, ever since then, it just, this is the time of the year that we really look forward to. Now it's a little different because both of them are in school and I'm watching mm-hmm. the tour like on Instagram. But overall, I mean, that's kind of what our, our appeal is to those two sports. Yeah. Interesting. Can't do that's, the, yeah. That's cool. I'm, I might have to look into these more now. <clears throat> if, you uh, are, if you're in the right environment, it is very enjoyable. Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a good comparison. The, 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 the mile metaphor mm-hmm. is really accurate. Yeah. I think um, even, sprint, even sprint coaches, I don't think I've ever seen, again, my, my relations in the swimming world are very limited, but I don't think I've ever seen um, sprint coaches get excited about a mile. Like our sprint coaches did it when Anton was tearing it up. So it was, it was good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a, a good a good mile is hard to beat for sure. Uh, so let's let's get, let's get on to diving. I, I I'd like to hear a little bit about your background in diving before retiring and moving on to cycling. Um, how, how did you get into the sport? Um, my family and I we immigrated here back in '97, so I moved here in middle school. Our middle school did not have a soccer team. That wasn't until you get to high school. Um, and when we got here. I was too pudgy to be a uh, football player. I was too short to be a basketball player. I did both sports completely alien to me, completely alien to me. Football, just American football. Yeah. Made no sense to me whatsoever. The stop and go. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it now <laughs> to the viewers. <laughs> um, and then we got to, to swimming. I was always a fairly decent swimmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, swim season rolled around. We had tryouts. I saw a guy who turned out eventually became my coach um, and a good friend of mine bouncing on the boards in the distance. So you had 60 seventh graders mm-hmm. lined up on the bleachers. Who wants to try swimming? If you want to try diving, go down to the diving well. And at the time, this was in Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, that's okay. where I, we grew up in. Um, I went over to the diving side. About three or four days later, I was the only idiot left. Smacks and whatnot. Everybody else was like, I'm going to go to the swimming side. That makes that's way less painful. Yeah. There was a whole different side of pain to them that I couldn't tolerate. Mm-hmm. But when it came to, to diving, it really hooked me. Uh, and ever since then, it's always been an integral part of my life. I mean, it's the kind of thing that my parents used as a reward or punishment. Like if you're grounded, no TV, no problem. No hanging out with friends, sure. You can't go to practice until your grades come up. All of a sudden, my grades went from like a C to an A minus within a week. Yeah. Uh, you can't go to work. And at the time when I, I did, I worked at McDonald's part time and I, I did a couple of odd jobs when I was growing up to pay for diving. Okay. And when you can't go to work because your grades suck, it jeopardizes what you want to do in diving. Mm-hmm. Well, in that case, get your stuff together. Yeah. So, so I, got, I got sucked into that. I was... Uh, I was given a spot 
on Indiana's team my freshman year, which was tremendously awesome. I was completely awesome. And growing up at IU, we had, I think, two women contending for Olympic berths. We had a couple of national champions, a couple of junior national champions. And in my world, that was just the standard. I mean, that's like the minimum. Like, I didn't understand how most teams didn't have Olympians. Like, what do you mean you don't have an Olympian? Everybody has. We got two of them. How can you not? <laughs> it wasn't until I left that kind of a dream world that I realized, like, holy cow, that is an elite, elite company. So my, yeah. my mindset was completely skewed from the get-go. <laughs> um, after I decided I had it to choose between grades in college or diving, like, that's where I stepped back. I really had to put some priorities in place. Um, I, I was completely over my head. But I enjoyed it tremendously. I really enjoyed getting to know the divers and getting to know the sport and the art behind it and the science that my coaches offered me a spot as a coach for the lessons program and to help out as a student manager or a volunteer coach or a student coach while I was there. And that is where like my eyes completely took in a, a totally... I love being in the behind the scenes. I hate being in the forefront. I hate being the center of attention. Sure. I love being in the background. I love being able to tweak those little problems. And that's where I get the thrill. And I got that from, uh, at the time, it was Sandra Cardinal and Sarah Hildebrand, who were, or Sarah Reiling, now Hildebrand. They were both on the Olympic team. And they taught me a world of detail and nuance that completely changed. Went overseas, did a year abroad, came back. Uh, graduated IU, I was offered the director of operations position. So I got to see the back of house of how to deal with team travel, how to deal with meals and all that stuff. Um, really liked what I did. And then I decided I, I wanted to kind of give it up. I, wanted, I didn't want to have a midlife crisis. At that time, a couple of my friends have went through divorces and life was not going as well. And they had to choose between sports and And they had to choose between their careers or their families. And I never wanted to get to that point where I had to choose one or the other. So I said, I want to go and explore the world and see what there is. As soon as I gave my notice, I realized I made a mistake. <laughs> I, I knew I made a mistake. So I spoke with Jeff Huber at the time and I said, I want to be a coach. Mm -hmm. I, I know full on right now, I want to be a coach. I don't want to be, I don't want to do this as a hobby. I want to be a legitimate coach. What do I need to do? And I, it's very similar to, to any profession that you take. It's, it's not a hobby. This requires study. It requires an internship, which we don't have. It requires um, an understudy. So I kind of had to forge my way. And one of the things that I'll never forget he said is you have to understand pedagogy, the, the science of teaching. You have to understand sociology, psychology. You have to understand finance, how to make things work, because you will need to run a club or a camp to make ends meet. This is not a, this isn't basketball. This isn't football where you live on multi-million dollar contracts. Mm -hmm. You have to make things work in it. If, if you can develop a club that is a feeder to your program, which in turn can recruit younger kids. I mean, it's a win-win situation, but you have to be first a teacher who knows the nuances of the sport. 
So once he said that to me, I went out and I decided to learn how to teach. I went to Egypt um, to a school that taught how to teach English as a foreign language. Um, my fiance and I, we moved to China to learn how to teach there as well. I was really fortunate that I was able to pick around a lot of, uh, my ties from Indiana opened my doors to a lot of international coaches that I generally wouldn't have. And I was able to pick their brain since I was in the area. Um, finally, I, after enough, after enough digging and rejections, I got an opportunity at Florida State with Patrick Jeffrey. I was there for two years. Then I got my first shot as a coach at Wyoming with TJ Johnson. And then two years after that, um, NC State called him. My wife is from North Carolina. Uh, we just had our first daughter. So it kind of made sense. And seven years on, here I am. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what a story. Sometimes. Depends who's <laughs> listening. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've got a few questions from that. Shoot. Uh, so, you, you know, you said when you kind of decided to, to, to retire from, from your personal diving, but you loved the, uh, the nuances, the details, the behind the scenes, the science, what, what are some of the specifics that really drew you to that part of it? Like what about diving specifically, you know, what, what are those nuances or what are those details that you liked um, tweaking about diving? I have a very rational, but, insane fear of heights. I am one of those people, um, and I, I remember it vividly. I was maybe, I can't remember what year I was, but I was, we were in a courthouse and it's one of those courthouses that has that two staircases that go to the second floor. Mm -hmm. Very grand. Um, I can't remember what it was. I think it was for naturalization, but I remember walking up the stairs where my family was by the banister and I was hugging the edge of the wall. There was no way I was going to look over that edge. Terrified me. Okay. And then when I got into diving, one of the things you had to do was jump off 10. Okay. If you did diving or like doing in middle school, you had to jump off 10. Say what? Like in middle school? Yeah. In middle school, not with a, once I realized that there was a club scene, mm -hmm. you had to overcome those fears and get up there. I started bouncing, double bouncing. And I realized that the more I double bounced, the easier the dives would get when I was in high school on the low boards. Yeah. And then I got up on three meter and it just kind of scared me. It, it didn't make any sense. And then I realized there's a much higher one than that 10 meter. Just right. Once I got a couple of jumps off of 10 meter, um, everything else was relative. And it was just that rush, that adrenaline, everything is loud on the outside. Once you hit the water, much like swimming, it's dead quiet. Mm -hmm. And the differences in swimming is it is, it's always quiet and you are completely trapped with your thoughts in the middle of a set mm -hmm. in diving. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's very social, but once you touch the diving board, it's business. And I really like that on and off. I liked that. And not everybody shares this with me. I really enjoyed the process. I hated competitions. I hate, I was a, I used to tank at meets always. Mm -hmm. I hated competitions, but I love the routine, the process. I was up, I had two practices a day. Um, I love the conditioning, just how I felt after a good conditioning session. I hated not being able to accomplish a certain dive or a certain skill. And what I loved about it was that everything is achievable. 
You just have to approach it from a different way. And that's where the science came into it. Diving is just physics. At the end of the day, it's just physics. Who can make the most efficient movement through the air is your winner. Mm-hmm. And the one with the, I mean, very simplistic, but, um, and the one with the least amount of mistakes is perfect. So I don't, I refer to a lot of my athletes. You're not really competitors. You're performers. All you focus is on what you do. Trust your mechanics. Everything else will fall into place. And if you win, that's great. If you get a personal best, that's super. Wherever you rank is completely irrelevant. Some people will dive better than you. Some people will dive worse than you. And in my, in my um, short-ish career, all my successful athletes have focused on themselves. And their competition just kind of fizzled away. Or they screwed up a dive and my kids were just steady Eddie all the way through finals. And they ended up on the podium. That, that is the aspect that I absolutely loved about it. I love soccer because of the tactics. Um, I didn't realize there were tactics in swimming until recently when, when the staff and I, we were talking about it. I mean, it's always there. And then what I really enjoyed about those nuances was getting over that hump with physics and understanding it and just knowing that it is completely in your control. If you do the best that you can, it'll, it'll be what it'll be. And I think that's a great outlook of life. So I kind of, that's kind of what stuck with me. The adrenaline for sure. Absolutely. How, and that, that's a big part of it too. Yeah. I, I, I you know, I, I've, I've known a few divers and I've heard about divers and I, I think it takes a, a, right, a particular person to get into diving and you, and, it, and it's someone who really appreciates that adrenaline. Yes. If, if that, that, that's my understanding of diving. It is, it is. And there are a lot of kids with kids, I mean, children with tremendous potential, but they don't have that level of crazy mm-hmm. that take, that can take them to the next level. And for you and I, we would call that courage, just a little courage, push a little bit through that pain a little further, give it one more rep, really try to get out of your comfort zone. Um, I think the one of the best ways I would liken it to swimming is the, the breaststroke. Breaststroke, it makes absolutely no sense. Like get as many strokes as you can, but one of the, I don't know if I could say this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. One of the sexiest strokes and races that I've ever seen was Kevin Cordes. And I counted the strokes and it was the smoothest thing I had ever seen. I'm not the biggest fan of swimming, but when I saw him just go through a hundred without effort, win, and I think he might've set the record as well. I was like, I could watch that again. I really enjoy that. And then I'm watching lane eight catch up. I'm like, no, never mind. <laughs> Not interested. But I mean, it's one of those things that if you teach a young kid, like it, your instinct is going to be take another stroke, put your head down, finish your kick and hold your breath and just coast and just trust your mechanics. And I love that. I absolutely love that. Do as little as possible and just kind of coast on through. But it requires a lot of trust in yourself. And your coach. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, uh, you do need a little crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I always, when I tell people like, uh, if someone asked me like, Oh, what would you do if you didn't swim? I was like, I would, I would be a 10 meter diver. Like I'd yeah. go off the platform. Cause it's like, cause I've, I've jumped off the platform and it's like, that's like nothing else. It's like you get, you get a huge adrenaline rush and it's awesome. And, uh, 
you know, me being who I am today with what little training I've had, like, I don't know how to do that and I can't do it. But like, if I could train to do that, like, yeah, I'd, I'd do that. Do it. Never too late. You'll be a little sore, but never too late. I, there was a, there was a guy at the, who he was, uh, at the Mizzou like club, uh, diving club, like with the, the, the kids, right there it, for, for a period, there was a guy there who was at least my age, like late twenties, early thirties, who was training with the kids, I guess, cause he wanted to learn how to dive. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was kind of cool. I was like, good for you, man. Good for you. I love it. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so, uh, take me through your first, um, real coaching experience at Florida state. When you, when you, when you got the reins, what, what was that like? Uh, leading now, it was, no, no, that was at Wyoming. The first, oh, okay. uh, I was the assistant at Florida state. Okay. Gotcha. I was with, with Patrick Jeffrey. And one of the things that I, and there's a couple of things. And one of the things that I always tell younger coaches getting into the sport who were assistants or um, who are interning or trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. If you're with somebody and you're learning, not even if the experience is great or if it's bad, you can always learn something. Like one of the things that I learned from Patrick was how to manage an athlete. That's one of the big things. And not to manage just an athlete, but to manage an ego. You're talking about some of the kids. And at some point, you will get a kid who's been diving since they're six years old. They know the sport way better than you do. They know their body better than you do. So if I was going to tell somebody who's been doing it for so long and then comes into college as a junior national champion, mm-hmm. I'm not really going to be teaching this kid anything new. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit more efficiency and teach them how to be an adult. But other than that, than diving, they're they're pretty damn good as it is. Yeah. So I was taught, one of the things I learned was like how to manage ego. If you're really that good, how do you manage when a kid, uh, let's step back a little bit. I learned from Indiana how to take a no name and turn them into a household name. Mm-hmm. And that is something that Jeff Huber was notorious for in a good way. He could take a kid from the backwoods of Illinois or the backwoods of Missouri and turn them into a national contender. And then usually a, another college coach was like, where the hell did this kid come from? I'm, how come we didn't recruit them? Mm-hmm. Nobody knew about them. Um, and then when I went to Florida State, it's the exact opposite. You have some of the most talented kids coming on onto the pool deck, but their needs are very different than a kid who wasn't expecting to dive in college. So then when I got to Wyoming, um, I was all kinds of screwed up in the head. <laughs> I was going to turn Wyoming into the next Indiana University or Texas. And that's not the case. So one of the things I had to learn there was how to temper expectations. Not every kid wants to make an Olympic team. Not every kid wants to make um, an international team. Some kids just want to be associated with a Division One program. Some kids want to compete. Some kids just want to get by. Or they want to use it as an escape from household a good household or a bad household they want to make it on their own yeah um that was my first order of business is learning how to to do that how to identify the kids that will give you everything and how are are you going to identify the kids that need a lot of attention um so that was the first bit i inherited a 
a really good squad when I was at Wyoming. And it was a matter of pushing them to believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest thing that they, they had a, a young coach before me and the coach before that was a very good coach. Um, he left to go to a bigger program, much like me. So they brought in another young man that just, it wasn't working out. It just really wasn't working out. The kids knew a lot more than he did. Um, and it was unfortunate. And then once I got there, it was a battle of wills. You're either going to do it this way or you don't. But one of the things I learned was in order to get any athlete to do what you want them to do, you have to earn their trust. And you earn that trust through communication. And you have to earn that trust through explaining to them why they're doing a certain skill set or a certain task. It wasn't just, just random workouts. Right. There was a reason I had those kids um, running two miles a day. There was a very certain reason for that. And then it all comes into focus, into sharp focus when we get to the postseason. And they realize like, holy cow, this is not nearly as hard as I thought it was. And I learned that from Bob Knight, where I make practices absolute hell. Because when you get into a competition or a four or five day competition, which is a marathon, it actually seems pretty easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the worst thing that you have to do is wait in line between dives and then you get to go home and sleep <laughs> and you get to eat out at restaurants. It's not that bad. Um, so that was one of the first things that I learned there and learned how to listen. I was horrible at listening to athletes and what their body. So we, we came a long way and a lot of that I brought over here. And then here was a nice little um, best of both worlds where you had top caliber athletes and then you had kids who were just trying to figure it out. Uh, one young man wasn't even sure he was going to dive in college until I called him. Um, and I'm really glad he did. He was a tremendous, tremendous kid, a really good athlete. He just got into the game really late, which is why nothing ever really took off for him. But yeah. in practice, he was a champ. I enjoy being a part of those stories. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always... I think as a coach, it's a pretty cool feeling to, to have an impact on, on someone else's journey. It is. Have you tried coaching? Yeah. I, I've coached club swimming for 10 years. <laughs> How did you like it? Um, I, I, I really, I like coaching a lot more than I did than I liked being an athlete. Yeah. I think coaching is a lot of fun working. It with- is. We're, yeah, working with people is cool. Working on the details is fun. Um, getting to getting to form those relationships and and help help guide people through through their own paths. It's uh, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so you've been at NC State for seven years now. Going into seven, I think. Okay. Uh, I mean, take me through like the differences of year one versus where you're at now. Um, I know that's, that, that's a big journey, but just how do you feel like you've grown as a coach um, having, having that anonymity of that team for, for that long? Um, wow. Actually, that's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> if I'm honest with you, I don't know. I wasn't expecting that. Um, I think 
me personally, my athletes have taught me a lot, a world of patience. And now I'm, it has a lot to do with fatherhood. It has a lot to do with fatherhood. Um, and I'll, I'll give you kind of like the rundown. When we first got here, uh, my family and I, my young, oldest daughter was, she just celebrated her first birthday. Mm-hmm. She's not, oh, I guess no, it's not seven years, it's six years. Let me rephrase that. Okay. So it's six years here. She was celebrating her first birthday. Um, and then our second daughter came in my second year at the start of my second year season. And actually her birthday's coming up here soon. What that has taught me is to, that the athletes that we get into our programs, swimmers or divers, because I do talk to the swimmers as well. I, I'm not, I mean, we are just one big family at the end of the day. And when a parent drops a kid off at the college, and I know this is very cliche, they are entrusting their children to us. Yeah. And I know a lot of people say, yeah, we're in charge of our ki- of other people's kids, but it doesn't really strike home until my daughter was one year old and then she was three year old and somebody asked me, well, is she going to dive in college? I was like, holy crap. I didn't even think about her going to college right when they said, that, and by the way, no, she's not going to dive at all. I want to be a father. I don't want to be a coach to my kid because yeah. any coach that coaches my kid, I can do better. I don't want to do that. <laughs> not at all. Not interested. She could swim. She could swim the mile. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I personally would love her to be a soccer player, but that's neither here nor there. We're in the ballerina stage. Nice. She, when they said that I, it really was a sobering moment of like these kids are actually here because they believe in what I say and the parents believe in what I say. Mm-hmm. So once Isla was born, my youngest was born, my my whole perspective kind of changed. I became a lot more patient with the kids and a lot more understanding. And that's kind of where I developed um, the three circles of college, where if you are a, if you're a good student and you get your needs taken care of in the classroom, generally you'll be a good person. You'll be happy. You'll be stre- or you'll be a good diver. You'll be stressless. You can focus hundred percent in practice. You don't have to worry about, you know, did I get a good grade on that test? Did I lose, you know, whatever stresses that have to go with a class, you don't have those. And your practice is 100% focused on diving. Once you get out of practice and you've had a successful practice, you are actually a much better person to be around. You're not a jackass anymore. Mm-hmm. And then you have, once you're in a better mood as a person, people want to be around you. And if they struggle academically, they'll want to be around you because they, you seem like you have your stuff together. Once your grades are sorted out, you get to go back and to practice. So it's this whole cycle of everything going well. So I really allow my kids a lot of time. If you don't need to, if you need time to study, tell me, tell me, we can make an adjustment to practice. Our practices right now go six to eight in the morning, which are early, early as hell. But the pros of it is that you have the entire day ahead of you. And if you are studying for a class, it forces you to shut down by 11 o'clock at night. Unless you communicate with me, then I'll tell you, don't come into morning practice. Still go to bed at a relatively decent hour. Wake up early, come in, do a wake-up routine, and instead of practicing with us, go get a good breakfast and study some more. You're a lot more awake. And that is your routine. Your routine is to be up and going at 6 in the morning. Why change it when you have a test? 
So the most important thing is trying to keep those kids in a routine. And that's what I learned in the six years is how important a routine is, no matter what time it is. But the routine is really important. Um, another thing that I realized was what my job and function in the athletic department is. It's not a superstar. Like you are there as a part of a team, much bigger team. And a lot of coaches uh, do act a little bit bigger than the britches. There's really no room for that. Like even a football coach, you're just a coach, dude. Get off your horse. Act like a human being for once. I have my opinions about a couple of them and we can share that when we're not recording. <laughs> so, and that kind of brought up my philosophy on what our role is. Um, and I think that there are four kind of tiers to what we do, which is one of the things I really like about what you said about coaching you've done for 10 years and you've enjoyed it. I don't think you're a coach. And I, I really don't think if you care, a coach is, I can you, excuse me, let me finish this, please. Um, the coach, anybody can coach. I mean, do you know anything, you know anything about swimming? Yeah. Do you think you can communicate it with somebody else? I can, I can do that. So you're a coach. And so is 90% of the population in the U.S. And as a coach, you have a certain level or a certain status that your opinion actually matters. When in fact it doesn't, even though you have zero experience at an upper level, but you're considered a coach. So it's got to be, a, they've got to know what they're talking about. I find that highly insulting to anybody who has dedicated their life to that. So those people, I would not call coaches, I would call them teachers. Mm -hmm. So you have a coach, entry level, then you have a teacher. And what does a teacher do? I think I know my stuff really well. I can always learn more. I know my limitations. But I can still teach young boys and girls how to be men and women. Mm -hmm. And it usually happens around sophomore year. In that transition from freshman year to sophomore year, you will see a growth of, of character in these kids actually know how to take care of themselves. And then it's magnified from junior to, or from sophomore to junior year, excuse me. I enjoy being that teacher. On the flip side of that same coin of a teacher is a manager. And the manager is somebody who will take your national caliber athlete, manage them for four years, spit them out the other end and not really taught them much, but their career looks pretty good. I don't like those. I absolutely, I, I don't want to be that as exciting as I would, as exciting as it would be to have um, any of the Olympians come and die for me. That'd be great. But I would be so stressed out by making sure that I didn't screw them up that I would completely change my personality. So management doesn't really suit me well. And some people I learned how to manage. It, I just choose not to, I'd rather not. Mm -hmm. There's always something to learn and I, and I want to go down that route. The final one, and this is the one that you and I don't have a say in, is to be a mentor. And that is the pinnacle of what we do. That is what I strive to be as a mentor. But I don't get to say, I don't, I don't get to call up a recruit and say, oh, yeah, I'm a mentor. I'll be your mentor. Yeah. You're only a mentor when you get that phone call from a kid that you spent every Saturday working their stroke, knowing that they will never amount to an elite level athlete, but you still put in time into them. And then they will call you five, 10 years down the road out of the blue and say, Hey, Coleman, I remember when you taught me this one lesson on a Saturday when you didn't need to be there 
And I applied that lesson and I said something about it to this interview and I got the job. I just wanted to say that I was thinking about you. Or, hey, I just met the person in my life. Um, I wanted to see if you were in town and we can go get a drink or get a meal. I want to tell you all about them because I don't think I would have met them if it wasn't for being on the team. And you told me that one day I need to just get away from the pool to clear my head. Like, that's beautiful. That is amazing. I would love to get those kind of phone calls. And I got a phone call maybe um, before quarantine. <clears throat> One of my boys, men, uh, was graduating the police academy. And he was like, I, I just wanted to call and check in and see how you were doing. I wanted to tell you this is my graduation date. I would love it if you can make it. But if you can't, I get it. Like, I started crying as soon as I hung up on the phone. I loved hearing that. I don't say I'm a mentor to him by any stretch of the imagination, but that meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. So that kind of a philosophy is what I've developed over the six years that I've been here. And moving forward, that's exactly how I talk to parents and the recruits and my current crop of athletes and their parents. And even with the swimmers, it's like, how is your life going? Because I actually do care. I actually do give a damn about what happens in your life because your well-being is a direct reflection of what the program does. And if we're selling something that we're not going to buy, we have no business being in this business. I think that answered your question. So I'm just, I'm just letting that wash over me. That, I mean, that was, that was uh, the answer I was, didn't know that I needed, but I needed it. <laughs> that was great. Uh, it's a great cool. philosophy. I couldn't agree more with it. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a great place to finish. I'm going to, one last question for you, sure. Tyler, just, just moving forward a little bit, you know, what's, what's NC State diving looking like right now, these next couple months, what are you focused on? I know you, you said you've had a lot of time to learn to talk to mentors and teachers. Um, so for these next couple months, what, what, what are things looking like for you right now? Uh, patchy, very patchy. It's a lot of stop and go depending on, um, <laughs> it's our, our livelihood, our careers are a hundred percent dependent on 18 year olds decisions, which is a terrifying prospect. Mm -hmm. However, I would completely trust my life with our kids because we have been able to cultivate a type of culture that they do what is needed and what is right. And it's a, it's a great, statement that I would tell my kids, like, imagine if I was behind you, when you make a decision, imagine now standing over your shoulder, would you still do it? Mm -hmm. um, so the next couple of months look like getting five months of cobwebs out of our gears and, and taking this opportunity to undergo the same kind of relearning process that I've gone through with our kids. So we're going to break down the dives and build them back up, but with the knowledge of what the end goal is versus freshman year, where they were like, I'm just hoping for the best. So yeah, yeah, we're, uh, we're trucking along. <laughs> nice. Well, Yaya, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk with me. It's been such a refreshing Thank you for the time. invite. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I was hoping just to catch up and hear what you were doing. I wasn't expecting to do an interview, but I appreciate the invite all the same. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, we'll have to get you back on and, and pick your brain more about diving. But again, th thank you so much for joining me. 
My pleasure, man. Hey, enjoy Columbia, and we'll talk soon. Hopefully, we'll see you in Raleigh soon. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't wait to get back. <laughs> Take care, bud. Thanks. You too, man. You've been listening to the Swim Swam Podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swim Podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below, and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.